Welcome to the Seed Time Money Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Lodick. Hope you're having a great day. Today we're talking about three practical things that the Bible says about money, that like practical takeaways that apply to us in the 21st century. And that's always been one of the things that's so fascinating to me is that this book is so old, parts of it thousands of years old, and yet still so relevant to our day-to-day life even now. That's what we're tackling today. We're talking about three specific things that are really relevant for us today, practical tips that we can take from the Bible. And without any further ado, let's get to it. Money tips. Eh. (laughs) Dang it. Three practical money tips from the Bible. That's what we're going to be talking about now. Number one, Captain Obvious, don't spend all your money. This is a passion translation, which I really like. It's a great translation. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. When you're feeling lazy, come and learn a lesson from the tale of the tiny ant. Yes, all you lazy bones, come learn from the example of the ant and enter into wisdom. The ants have no chief, no boss, no manager. No one has to tell them what to do. You'll see them working and toiling all summer long, stockpiling their food in preparation for winter. Notice that the ants are not eating every crumb that they pick up from the table. They're stockpiling and saving. They know how to do that. We as Americans, that's something we're not real good at. And really it extends way beyond America, but particularly in America, we're pretty good at spending every dollar we have. Spending more than we have. Yeah, and even more. One of the things that we are starting to do with our five-year-old is teaching him this 10, 10, 80 plan, you know, so to give 10, to save 10, and to live off of 80. And this is one of those things that, yeah, I really hope I can instill this in him from the beginning, because the sooner you start this, the easier it is. The challenge is is that so many of us don't start anything like that. And then maybe we try to give later in life. Maybe we try to save later in life. And it's really difficult when you're used to living off of 100% of your income. And so the sooner you can start something like this, where you're setting aside 10 and then giving 10 and then living off the 80. And yeah, that's just a rule of thumb, but it's a really good, wise kind of thing to do if you can do that. If you're young, start this now. And if you're old, start working towards it. Yeah, I know when I first started working, one of the things they would tell me to do is my company would match a certain percent of money that I would put into a 403B. That is like free money. That's what everybody would tell me. It's free money. They are giving you money to invest into your future. So that's, I think, one way to just start taking care of this immediately. (laughs) Start saving. All right, number two is about co-signing. Your friend over here wants to buy a car. You co-sign with him. So your name is on the loan. And so if he doesn't pay, then it's on you to pay. And Proverbs actually has something to say about this. Proverbs 17, 18. And we're doing the Passion Translation again. It says, it's stupid to run up bills you'll never be able to pay or to co-sign for the loan of your friend. Save yourself the trouble and don't do either one. This kind of sounds like Dave Ramsey wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> it sure does, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, and at first glance, I think co-signing seems like it's a good idea because you're helping your friend out. But the reality is the numbers prove that it actually destroys a whole bunch of relationships mm-hmm. because a lot of times when somebody needs someone to help them co-sign, there's a reason why. And it's not always the case. There are sometimes some legit reasons. But oftentimes when somebody needs some co-signing help, there's a reason that the bank doesn't want to give them the money. So you, as a co-signer, are taking on all that risk. If things go sour just a little bit, it often is very strenuous on the relationship. I think one of the best ways to handle this is just to give the money. And if you can't give the money, then don't co-sign. But if you right. view it as that, mm-hmm. then that changes this whole thing completely. Okay, so we were talking about this, trying to figure out, like, is there a time when this makes sense? 
to cosine. It seems like, oh, I just, she gave me an example of a friend of ours years and years ago who was from a different country and yeah. couldn't have gotten a loan, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, another friend cosigned for him and that one worked out, we think, yes. right? Okay. As far as we know. So yeah, and I'm sure it works out plenty of times, but like, I think our thinking initially was, well, what if you just imagine in your head that you're giving it to them while you're co-signing. So you mentally just decide that you're giving. And I think that's a good idea in theory, but it's you know, the relationship. Yeah, I think that the relationship needs to be aspect protected. because if I co-signed for a friend and he did great for an entire year, he was paying the bills every single time. And in my mind I'm trying to hang on to, all right, I'm paying the bills, but I'm not really he is. But then he stops or something goes sour at that point and it's a year later. Am I still gonna be mentally strong enough to say Oh, well, I, I just assumed, you know, I think it's going to hurt the relationship. Yeah. I think it probably will. There was a study done at creditcards.com of over 2,000 adults that talked about the negative results from co-signing loans and said 38% of co-signers had to pay some or all of the loan because the primary borrower did not. And then 28% of the co-signers experienced a drop in their credit score because the person Ooh. they co-signed for paid late or not at all. Because that's the other thing people don't think I about, think about that, that it either. affects your credit score. And then 26% of the people said that the co-signing experience and damage the relationship for the people that they were co-signing with. It's the Bible. It's full of some really good wisdom. This seems like such a hard one, though. And it, it, yeah, does it really seems like a one. good thing to do. Yeah, and it seems like it, but I don't know. I think it's just a whole lot better to just give it, just flat out give it. I, I think that's the way to do this it's and to really way. make it clean. Mm-hmm. To protect all aspects of it. Yeah. Interesting. All right, one more piece I want to add to this. Uh, this was actually an article in the Atlantic, not at all a biblically focused article, but he came to the same conclusion. You know, he and he said the same thing. He said ultimately you should just give them the money if that's what you want to do. If you want to help, give them the money. If not, don't co-sign. And he goes on to argue that I can, there's no way I could afford to give it or whatever. And and his point is, I'll quote this. He says, well, my friend, given the default rates of primary borrowers, that's what you're doing when you co-sign. With the additional cost of origination fees, interest payments, late fees, collection fees, a black mark on your credit report, and probably a destroyed relationship. Wow. Um, when the primary borrower defaults, you are on the hook, not just for the loan, but also for any late charges and collection fees oh. that may have accrued. If it's a car, the repo man will sell it for cheap at auction and then sue you for the difference. There are no non-recourse auto loans. Meanwhile, your credit will be trashed. Contracts don't always include notice requirements for the secondary borrower, so you may not even find out about the late payments until it's in collections. Whoa. So that's a pretty good, pretty mm-hmm. compelling argument not to do it. I'm not co-signing for any more of your loans. I don't care nah. <laughs> Number three is to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. And for anybody who doesn't know, keeping up with the Joneses, I don't know where this expression came from, do you? No, I just yeah. know keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> it basically, the idea is, is that, you know, you're doing something that your neighbor is doing, other people are doing, mm-hmm. just to kind of keep pace with them. So they bought right. a new car, so I need to buy a new car. They bought the, whatever, latest Gidget or Gasmo. Gidget or Gasmo? <laughs> Gadget or Gizmo? <laughs> and so then you feel like you need to do the same thing. Because you can see... Everyone on the face of the earth, you have access to what everyone is doing with with social media, with the internet. And it was never like that before. Like in the history of the world, you know, really up until social media, we were limited to our localized region Mm -hmm. and who we saw. And so really the last hundred years, things have changed dramatically. But before that, all you knew what was going on in your town. And so maybe your neighbor had something better that you were chasing, but now it's like we're all chasing everybody we see all over the world. And and it's insane. 
I think before you would kind of see celebrities and be like, oh, they're a celebrity. They can do da 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 da. So that was just kind of in a separate category. But now I feel like the playing field is leveled because you're seeing everybody's people a celebrity. who are not yeah. celebrities yeah. doing the same thing the celebrities are doing. So you think, oh, well, I have to be doing that too. I need to look like that. I need to buy that. I need to mm-hmm. have my house that way. Yeah. <laughs> These are the things yeah. I think about, obviously. So there's a proverb that talks about this. It's Proverbs 13, 7, and uh, it's Passion Translation. Again, it says, one pretends to be rich, but it's poor. Another pretends to be poor, but is quite rich. And there's a little sub kind of thing here. And it says, it's never godly to be a phony. It's always better to be who you are and avoid pretense. Hmm. I love this. It says there's another who pretends to be poor is actually quite rich. And so this is the idea from uh, the book, The Millionaire Next Door, which I read many years ago, where it's basically this, this idea that so many of the wealthy people actually don't show their wealth and they're much more private about it and they drive older cars and you wouldn't be able to tell because they're not flashing all their money trying to impress everybody which is kind of confusing because a lot of us think that that's what what it means to be wealthy and that's what you do because we see some celebrities doing that or whatever yeah rap videos you know like that type of thing and the reality is that that's a, that's not the way it has to be and really it shouldn't be and i'm not sure who said this but somebody said so many people try to buy things to impress people who they don't even like, you know? And oh, I think that's right. what it is yeah. with a lot of the keeping up with the Joneses thing. It's like, we're trying to impress people who we don't even really care about. Yeah. We're not even, maybe even friends with in some cases. It's just the person across the street or somebody we're following on social media. And anyway, it makes no sense. You know what is true also is I had a friend years ago who I felt like she was in competition with me all the time. And it was so bizarre because I was not... In my mind, I was not in any competition with her. Like, she was clearly cooler. She clearly had more money than I did. You know what I mean? But for some reason, she was, every time I would get around her, she would have to show me all this stuff that she got on. Look at this. Well, this is, you know, nicer than what you have. It was so weird. Yeah. I think she was like, my, my wedding ring is bigger than yours. Like, kind of did this whole thing. And I just didn't want to be around her. Yeah. Like, It was so true that it was like she kind of destroyed that relationship because she was basing it off of her being better than me. It was never really a relationship at all. It was not a friendship at all. So being on the receiving end of it, it's just icky. But also I think on her side, I wasn't a real friend to her ever because she wouldn't allow me to be. Yeah. Well, I hope you found that helpful. And if you did please let us know by leaving us a review over on the iTunes store or anywhere else where you are downloading podcasts. Anytime you leave a review for us, it is such a blessing and it really helps us out a lot and we would greatly appreciate it. So with that, have a great day and we'll see you next time.